0: Welcome to the weekly Dharma Talk podcast from the Columbus Karma Texum Choling Buddhist Meditation Center. This week's Dharma Talk is entitled My Favorite Dharma Book, Mountain Dharma, Part 2 by Kathy Lamo Jackson. Kathy Lamo continues her exploration of Karma Chagme's comprehensive book, Mountain Dharma, written in 1659. This book is a practical guide for practitioners of Tibetan Buddhism with over 50 chapters. Kepo Karta Rinpoche taught this text in 1999-2003 at KTD Monastery. If you like our Dharma Talk series, please consider donating to Columbus Karma Texum Choling at columbusktc.org. Enjoy the podcast.
1: Hi, everyone. My name is Kathy Jackson or Kathy Lamo Jackson. I'm part of Columbus KTC or uh, Columbus Karma Texum Chuling, excuse me, for the acronym there. And today is a continuation of a class I taught a few months ago. So I'm going to be talking on Karma Chagme's wonderful books called Mountain Dharma. This is what it looks like. Today is the first time I figured out how to make my screen a little bit bigger and um it's a five volume set uh, volume number five is all tibetan and the rest of it is in english and i believe now there's a chinese um translation which is wonderful i'm hoping there'll be other languages over time and so i thought i would speak a moment kind of do um, a review a little bit of what i covered the last time and so basically i just want to say this up front i'm not teaching at all today i'm just sharing one of my Favorite heartfelt books that has supported me over the years. I was very fortunate to be around when Campbell Karpati Ribicay presented these books um, back in the 90s and early 2000 at KTD Monastery, mm-hmm. and um, I have a very close affinity and fond memories of getting this transmission. So I just thought for a moment. Our author is Karma Chagme. I'm going to hold the book up again. You don't need to see me. You see Karma Chagme. He's from Eastern Tibet. He was born in 1613, and he left his body in 1678. At a certain, and he was famous as a practitioner throughout his entire life. And at a certain point, um, towards maybe the middle of his life, he was approached by a student saying, uh, and he was, by the way, I forgot to mention, a prolific writer. So wherever he went, he was an exquisite teacher in explaining how to do specific practices. Very practical, nothing fancy, but really to the heart of what we need to learn. And a student approached him saying, by then, uh, I forgot to mention, Kamar was in retreat. And it's not uncommon if you were a realized master. Now, he was leading a group retreat. Realized master so he can still talk a little bit to the outside world so people would sometimes come to the cave or the entrance of whatever their treat building was and sometimes there's a little hole in the door or in the window or you could maybe put a little note in or something and he was able to verbally talk with this monk that came to him saying could i please dictate everything for you and put together everything you know regarding this practice Of called Mountain Dharma and so I'm going to talk a little bit more about what that is today but I want to first read his biography and then um, we'll move from there so last time I met with you I primarily went over the first book today I'm going to do a little um, selections of things that have really been talking to me from the other three volumes and we may have one other class on this we'll see so let's just read this is by the way these books. So this is volume two. And these are from our monastery at Namze Bangzo or KTD Publications. Here's a picture of Kemper Rinpoche teaching on this. Isn't that beautiful? And so the book is so well put together. This is one of the really big first projects our monastery started um, actually publishing books. In the very beginning, there is summation because there's over 54, I think there's 54 chapters of this text called Mountain Dharma. And in here in each of these, at least the English volumes, I'm sure it's also in the Tibetan, is um, a wonderful table of contents, a course of course, a preface, and various um, and there are two biographies and advice from Temple Kartu Rinpoche, which are excerpts from uh, various questions and answers. So what was unique was when Khenpo Kartu Rinpoche presented this, he did it very slowly. It would be so many um, weekends per month. And I was very fortunate to have just had a stroke and I wasn't working. So my husband would take me um, about a 12 hour drive to upstate New York from Ohio. And when we would be there for Friday, Saturday, and leave on Sunday to go back home. And we were able to really listen to a great deal of this teaching. And I can't tell you how grateful I am that later someone transcribed this. I mean, first of all, we had a wonderful English transcriber, Lama Yeshigamso, And of course, Kimball Kudrimbashi was not only teaching and reading the text, but giving his own commentary and then doing questions and answers. So in here, the very beginning of this book, not only a, a very thorough table of content, a lovely introduction, a short biography about who the author of the text is Karma Chago and Ripochet, a biography, a very short one of Temple Carter Ripochet. Then we go into the actual book itself, and at the end is a lovely glossary, a very thorough, really thorough um, index that you can look everything up in. And, even the mantras that are referred to in here are written out in Tibetan, Sanskrit, and English. So I just want to let you know, this. I consider these to be really reference works. So, Alright, so let's go on. So let me reintroduce you, and please forgive me if you've already heard this before, and if you wish to follow along, I have a volume 2 right now, I'm on page Roman numeral 23, short biography. Of Karma Chagme Rinpoche. He was born in accordance with the prophecies of Guru Rinpoche in the Dokam area of Tibet, this is Eastern Tibet, in the year 1613. His father was a Mahasiddha, meaning an excellent practitioner, a great practitioner. His name was Pema Wangdarak, and his mother, Che Kyung K, was a wisdom dakini. At the moment of his birth, his father gave him the name Wong-Drak-Sung and bestowed upon him his first empowerment. As a child, he was very accomplished in all aspects of study and Dharma practice. And by the time he was nine years old, he had received many empowerments and had become well-known for supreme intelligence and knowledge. Age 11, he then met Prasa, sorry, Prawashara, from whom he received many empowerments, transmissions, and pointing out instructions. When he was 13, he began a solitary chenrezig retreat. After completing this retreat, began to bestow empowerments and give reading transmissions and instructions to everyone who requested them. At the age of 20, he received full ordination vows from the 10th Karmapa. So let's see, who was... Dorje at the Serpu Monastery, and he received the name Karmachagme. From that time, he diligently served the Sangha at Tutum Ningling, a monastery in the Snurmang tradition. For the next few years, Karmachagme studied with, received many empowerments, transmissions, and pointing out instructions from his holiness the Karmapa, including Mahamudra, Dorje Padmo, Chakrasambara, Madison Buddha. And he became quite well known and his fame greatly increased in his public examination at the Karmachagmi in 1865. Between the ages of 11 and 37, Karmachagmi entered into solitary retreat for at least a few months every year in order to accumulate root and accomplishment mantras. There was not a single mantra he had not accomplished. I'm gonna just m- mention what that would mean. That means, let's say a mantra, for instance, uh, Chan Rezi's mantra mani has six syllables. In order to meet the requirement to do that practice, um, you would do at least 100,000 of each syllable. So you would do 600,000 of Om Mani Padme So he had met um, and was able to accumulate root and accomplishment mantras. There was not a single mantra he had not accomplished. During this time, he also received many auspicious visions, dreams, and signs of accomplishment of various deities. At some point, Karmachami returned to his native region and built a retreat house at Palri. He resolved to accomplish Gyawagyamso, this is called the Red Chenrezzi practice, and received the four empowerments in a dream from the Tantha Karmapa. Dorje. Soon after this, 1650, at the age of 37, he began a strict 13-year retreat, per- persevering in the practices of Yawagyamso and mudra During this period, he wrote many texts and commentaries, including this one, Ri Chö, Instructions for Mountain Retreat, written in 1659. In the same year, Chagme recognized and enthroned the great Tertan Mingudorje, who gave oral transmission lineage teachings for which Karma Chagme was described. In 1663, at the age of 50, Karma Chagme ended his 13 year retreat. He continued to greatly benefit beings performing ceremonies, giving empowerments, often attended by over 4,000 students. Wow. Karma Chagme performed all possible stages of practice and every miraculous deed for the sake of all benefiting others. In 1678, the year of the Earth Horse, at the age of 66, Mahasiddha Karma Chagme Rinpoche announced to thousands that the time had come for him to change realms. And he passed away. Many signs occurred at the time of his death, including rainbows, clouds in the shape of eight auspicious symbols, and countless images of Gyoa Gyamso and George Pogmo embossed on his bones. If you happen to have these books, um, these are on sale at um, KTD Bookstore, Namse Bongso Bookstore. Oh, this is so sweet. Everyone's coming in now. I appreciate you all coming in. It's a little lonely. This is I love that we're doing restream because this goes out to YouTube and to Facebook, but um, it's a little different because I have an iPad, so everything's a little different the way I see it. All right, so that was um, a very, very brief um, description of the beautiful life of Karma Chagme. So if I now I want to talk about my teacher. Um, I shouldn't say my teacher, the teacher of thousands, Rinpoche, who passed away October 6, 2019, at the age in his late 90s, I believe 95. Um, so coming up this week is, in terms of our calendar, the Western calendar would be his anniversary date. But because of the, the Tibetan lunar calendar, are really a little different. So Kempo Rinpoche died on the par nirvana of the 16th Karmapa, the Enlightenment Day that the 16th Karmapa died years before. And so it's going to be celebrated at KTD Monastery. I just want to let you know. Let's see here. On the, I believe it's the 13th, either it's 10-13 or 10-12. You'll have to look it up at the KTD Monastery website. It will be on YouTube and from 9 a.m., to 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, they will be doing a type of ceremony. But because Rinpoche, Kimball Kartra Rinpoche, now we're talking about the person who at the monastery had presented his teaching, um, because he had such devotion and faith in karmatagme, um, I told this story the last time, very About a month or two before he passed, he had brought from Tibet a very special Lama that came and did the reading transmission of all of the works of Karmachagmi. And there was a special place. If you go to our monastery, we have a main shrine with a very beautiful Buddha. But now there's a special shrine over on the side. I'm sure there's a special name for it, where all the offerings are made. So all the texts were stacked there, very beautifully wrapped, uh, and brought over from Tibet, and during over 30 or 60 days, I believe 60 days, they were read. And so people would go into the shrine room at 9 a.m. till noon, and then usually like 1 or 2 in the afternoon until 5 or 6, and just sit still, what it's called a reading transmission or a lung, but it was very, very sacred. To hear the actual, this text was completely read. All, all of his teachings were read, and, um, and we are there to absorb it. Lama Kathy and several people from our center were there, and Lama Kathy and I know someone here at Ellen and Sus Steinmetz, they received the entire transmission. They never missed a day. I was fortunate just to be there for a little bit, along with my husband. What was going on at the same time was Kempo Kartu Rinpoche was not in the main shrine room, which is, was unusual. He was upstairs because he was getting ready to die. And on the very last day of the entire event Rinpoche came downstairs. And much to my dream, he, he the Lama, I'm so sorry I forgot his name right now, um, that was there giving the transmission and Kemper Urgen each took one of the texts. One was the first, one was the middle, one was the last of all the texts. We went to each of them and they, te- they bopped our heads. With, that was such a wonderful blessing. So I thought for a moment it would be nice if I read a short biography about Kemper Karcher Rubber We know him from the days where he built, the, many of you might not have been there, when he actually built our monastery. But he endured incredible hardships. And he did everything for the sake of everyone else. Always. So I thought, um, also in the same book, the very next thing is his biography. very short. And I would like to read this because um, I know the Tibetan calendar will be next week, but I also realized Rinpoche had died a year ago this this coming on the 6th and so i would like to really read this so kimpal karje was born in Rapshu in the province of eastern tibet of kham he was born at sunrise on mahakala day so this is really common when you read a biography of a saint or a teacher it's a little different than just saying where well, they're born on they're going to show they're going to show all the signs so he was born at sunrise mahakala day 29th day, of the second month of the year of the Woodmouse, 1924. On this day, very early in the morning, immediately after Rinpoche's mother went to fetch water from the stream and carried the full vessel of water back by herself, Rinpoche was born without giving any pain to his mother. According to Tibetan tradition, all of these special circumstances indicate a very auspicious birth. Rinpoche's father was a devout... Devoted Manjushri practitioner. Manjushri is the deity of profound wisdom. And he constantly recited Manjushri's sutras. He would go to sleep reciting the sutra, and when he would wake up, he would simply continue with his recitation. His practice was so strong that he was known to benefit even animals when they died. When Rupache was quite a young boy, his father taught him to read and write, and to study and memorize Dharma texts. Rinpoche decided at a young age to follow the path of his older brothers who were both monks. At the age of 12, he entered Trangu Monastery in So Eastern Tibet, and for the next six years Rinpoche studied and practiced at this monastery. At the age of 18, he went to Serpu Monastery to visit the seat of His Holiness the 16th Karmapa. So, Rinpoche is from way eastern Tibet, and so I'm sure it was a long journey to travel to central Tibet. So this is in Lhasa. So now he's at 18 and he's visiting the Karmapa. Who the Karmapa was also 18. They're both the same age. I didn't realize that. Who is not yet old enough. So the Karmapa was not yet old enough to give full ordination vows. So the following year Rinpoche received his Gaelong monk vows from the 11th Tai Siji Rinpoche at Pao Pong Monastery. After the Geelong ordination, Rinpoche returned to Trongo Monastery and participated in the annual Yarnay three-month summer retreat. Soon after this, he joined the year-long Vayurochana group retreat, which is special for Trongo Monastery. And by the end of the retreat, Rinpoche was very enthusiastic to participate in the traditional three retreat which he began shortly thereafter. After completing the three-year retreat, Rinpoche expressed his heartfelt wish to stay in retreat for the rest of his life. He went to his uncle's cabin and began his lifelong retreat. But after only one year, the eighth trolley Rinpoche strongly advised him to come out in order to, to receive transmissions from Kancho Rinpoche and to join Changa Rinpoche and other lamas. In the newly formed monastic college at Chango Monastery, which was under the directorship of Kempo Lodro Lapsal. So, Traleg Rinpoche felt that Kempo Rinpoche had attained insight and realization in his years of retreat, and that this further education would be of great benefit to many students in the future. So, the second Jamyun Kantor Rinpoche, the eighth Traleg Rinpoche, and His Holiness the 16th Karmapa are Kempo Karate Rinpoche's main teachers. In 1954, when Rinpoche was 30 years old, he completed his advanced training. He received the title of kempo that's Abbot in English. For the next four years, he was an attendant and tutor to Trangu Rinpoche. They traveled together teaching, studying, and benefiting beings. By the late 1950s, the threat of communist Chinese, or China, was creating an increasingly dangerous situation for the Tibetan people. In 1958, Rinpoche left eastern Tibet, because that's closer to China, Tonga Monastery, along with Chang'e Rinpoche, Zuru Tukul Rinpoche, and three-year-old child Rinpoche. With a few horses and some provisions, the party began their long trek. After two weeks, they realized they were surrounded by communist soldiers. They managed to escape, but for seven days, they survived on, without any food. During this time, the elder Zuru Toko Rinpoche fell from his horse. So, Temple Rinpoche's younger brother, Lama Sonam, who I've met, he's really wonderful, he carried him the rest of the way. Eventually, they met a group of nomads who gave them some provisions. After two and a half months, they arrived at Serpu. that's central Tibet, Serpu Monastery. His Holiness, the 16th Yawakarmapa, with its profound vision, was aware of the dangers and told them they must leave immediately for Sikkim. He provided them with necessary provisions, and in March 1959, the Lamas left Sirpu. So I'm just trying to see how long this was. This was many years many, many months at least. So the group quickly reached the border between Tibet and Bhutan. At that time, the Bhutanese were unwilling to grant passage, and as a result, the party spent one month at the blockaded border until His Holiness the Dalai Lama secured permission for the refugees to enter into India. It was, I have to say, I have profound gratitude and thanks to all of those Himalayan kingdoms that opened their borders to so many monks because not only were these monks saving their own lives, but what they were carrying was primarily texts and religious items. They had very little room to carry food. Rinpoche said at night they would flip a rock to decide whose boot they were going to boil that night for boot soup. So I added that story, sorry. So again, the group quickly reached the border between Tibet and Bhutan. And then um, after they got in through there, the Rinpoche's then traveled to Buxador, located at the border of India and Bhutan. There was a refugee camp that was set up there. More than 1,500 monks were gathered at Buxador. I heard it was 4,000. Buxador is a little corner. I have actually been there, uh, I went there by mistake. Um, it was a prison later turned into an internment camp for the Tibetan monks that had escaped. So in this book, this version says more than 1,500 monks were gathered at Boksador. Their vision was to maintain and preserve the Dharma. And during this time, due to the heat and unhygienic conditions, disease spread rapidly throughout the camp. And by the eighth year of residing there, Rinpoche was terribly sick. In 1967, Rinpoche went to Rumtek Monastery in Sikkim, which was then the seat of the Karmapa in India, where he actually was asked to teach monks and perform various rites for the local Buddhist communities. As the state of his health worsened, Rinpoche was sent by His Holiness, the, 70th, the 60th Karmapa, to teach at Tilakpur, nunnery in Pradesh, founded by His Holiness. And Sister Palmo, she was a Western nun. After this, Rinpoché traveled to Tashi Jong Monastery, also located in Himachal Pradesh, where he received the Nak Zö empowerment, transmission, and teaching from Dingo Kenshi Rinpoché. Rinpoché's health improved while he was there, but once he returned to Rumtek, his condition worsened once again. His Holiness then sent Rinpoché. At the tasi Trolling monastery in Bhutan, unfortunately, his health grew worse, leading a very long, serious hospital stay. Upon His Holiness' return from the United States in 1975, Rinpoche returned to Rumtek. In the same year, Kemper Rinpoche received the title chu lama meaning Superior Dharma Master, from His Holiness the 16th Yawa Karmapa. So, for many years, Rinpoche had been ill with tuberculosis and now was close to dying. He asked His Holiness, the 16th Karmapa, if he could go back into retreat for the rest of his life. (laughs) But instead, His Holiness requested that Rinpoche go to the United States as his representative to establish Karma Triana Dharma Chakra, His Holiness's seat in North America. So, initially, Rinpoche was unable to attain a visa because he was so sick. But then he soon acquired a special type of visa enabling him to enter the United States specifically to receive medical help. Nonetheless, sick as he was, Rubichet boarded an airplane, which he said many times was strange because, you know, they had the myth when the iron bird flies Tibet would collapse. So when the Tibetans first saw planes, they didn't know what they were looking at. They had never seen anything like a metal airplane or any kind of plane. So Rinpoche boarded an airplane and he said he was terrified. I remember he said this many times. In February 1976, to begin a different life as a teacher of Dharma in a culture and environment far removed from his home in eastern Tibet. When Rinpoche did arrive in New York City, he was greeted by Tenzin Chuni, who was one of the presidents of our monastery for many, many years, Lama Yeshe Vosal, who had been sent ahead by His Holiness, while Rinpoche awaited approval of his visa. Immediately, once he got into America, Rinpoche was taken to a hospital in New York where he spent one month receiving treatment. It would take another year for him to regain his weight, become strong and healthy again. Years later, when His Holiness, the 16th Karmapa, visited the United States, Rinpoche thanked him for saving his life. His Holiness responded by telling Rinpoche that if he had stayed in India, he would have surely died. After his initial recovery, Rinpoche, along with Tenzin Chuni, Lama Loso, Lama Ganga, and Yishinamdak moved into a house in Putnam County that had been offered by Dr. Shen, a devout student of the Karmapa. From there, Rinpoche traveled to New York City every week to offer teachings at what was to become one of the first KTCs, the Karmateks and Trillions in the United States. Soon more centers were established and when His Holiness visited in 1977, the search for a permanent site for His Holiness's seat in America began. His Holiness told Rinpoche that he should open a new center on the auspicious day of Sakadawa, nineteen seventy-eight. That Sakadawa, was a special holy Buddhist holy day. Early in this early in this year, they located a good property and purchased the Mead um, House located on the mountains top in Woodstock, New York. The day Karmatriana Triana Dharma Chakra opened was the very day the fifth of the fifteenth day, nineteen seventy-eight that the Holiness of Sixteen Karmapa commanded Rinpoche to do so. Ever since this time, Rinpoche has been teaching extensively with warmth and directness, communicating with compassion and wisdom and all the teachings of the Kagyu lineage. The Venerable Kampal Karcha Rinpoche was the Abbot of Karmatriyana Dharma Chakra until 2019. And now our Abbot is Kempa Ujjan Rinpoche. So that is a brief bio of Rinpoche. And one thing I would like to say is, um, I was very fortunate. He asked my husband and I to live in India for a little while and try try and learn Tibetan. I think what I learned more than anything was how precious our teachings were and our teachers were in America. And um, I met more people that told me stories of Rinpoche when he was in Buxa. He was often being hospitalized because he had really serious tuberculosis. Many Tibetans did because they came from a high desert and they went to India, which was a very moist area full of TB and they had never been exposed to that before. So when he would go into certain places in the hospital, they would always give the monks the best medication. So at night, when everyone left, Rinpoche never took most of his medication. He gave it to everyone else. So I met more nuns and other monks that told me of Rinpoche giving his medicine to them so that they would survive. So, um, and so he's, because of him, we're now hearing these teachings of Karma Chagme. So I've already taken up half an hour. I'm sorry. I'm just talking away here. All right. So I thought today, um, I would just go over a very few things that pardon me kind of really talk to me from these teachings. So these are extensive teachings in these books. And the way Kemper and the way Karma Chagma say to study these are this is not something where it's a cover-to-cover book. These, as I said earlier, is a reference material. So if you're learning a new practice or you feel discouraged you need some inspiration you're having some obstacles and you can't necessarily um, get to a teacher these books are really full of blessings and wisdom and in america we're so lucky we, or whoever is listening to this from around the world most of us can also get to teachers now but i would always highly recommend read what karma Chagme wrote he was pretty right on even though it's very old it's Um, he really touches on. So I thought I would, um, first I want to talk about um, chud. So a great deal of you uh, in recent time have learned the chud or severance practice. It's C-H-O. It's actually spelled C-H-O and two little dots over the O or it's spelled C-H-O-D. The two dots make it chud, um, a light D at the end of it. And this is um, practice where, you know, you use the drum and the bell and it's it's very beautiful, and you offer your body. It's a really special practice. So, the version that we do is um, Karma Chagme's version. That is his version of Milam Lun It it also um, I'm trying to see if I have. It means um, dream prediction. This is, came. To, this practice came to Karma Chagme, so he is the author of that practice. So if you have the ability at some point, try and buy, at least it's in volume two. There's a beautiful section in there. And um, also, one thing I haven't touched on a whole lot is Kemple Karcher Rinpoche is a famous storyteller. Now, I would say a lot of Tibetans are because they didn't have TV or radio for the most part when they grew up. So they really learned how to tell stories. And that really went to the heart, you know, really got to you. So um, he tells great stories of his uncle practicing Chud and different people practicing Chud. It's very inspiring. So I would check that out. But I think what I'm going to go to is something a little different for a minute. Um, I particularly love to read things around challenges around our meditations because we all have them. And we're all different. Um, Some people don't notice things. I feel like I'm... um, always had kind of a a really sensitive nervous system. I notice noises. Temperature never bothers me because I can always put, you know, something to make me warmer if I'm cold. But I'm particularly sensitive around noises and sounds with meditation and it's taken me years to kind of go almost desensitize myself. So I thought I would share with you what Karma Chagmai talks. In these books he goes over so many different topics So I talked a little bit about, I'm going to go back and talk for a moment about just some of the topics that are in number two. So in volume number two, he touches um, a great deal about how to recognize the arising of experience and realization. Of course, more love and compassion. A brief explanation on geomancy. Geomancy has, we would I think one, another word is maybe feng shui, but it's a little different. with. But this is according to Tibetan Buddhism. It's very fascinating. I highly recommend reading that. And then a really big chapter on instruction on retreat. And everything that challenges you, how to make it more inspiring, all of that. And then the one I talked about, the chud practice. And then all of these are different practices that kind of build up. And one really important one is to keep your health up. So he also includes white Tara and Seringma are long-life practices to remove any obstacles to your health and so that you stay strong. And then a chapter that I don't feel comfortable reading a lot because I don't understand it enough yet is Kriya and Charya Tantra and Yoga Tantra for those skilled in ritual mudras. That's very beautifully done than how to purify obscurations of the dead, uh, for the dead. So now we're getting into the later books, three and four, and they really start going a little more deeper into end of life. So because, you know, you have to think about who it is that's reading these books. Um, There are sort of two styles of um, Tibetan Buddhist retreats. Somewhere you go into a, a building, uh, maybe with a lot of other people or alone, solitary. And then a, a very different style that maybe many of you have heard about, Minja Rinpoche went on what I would call kind of like a walking retreat where he went all over the place. So a lot of these practices are geared more for those people because in the days of Karma most people went uh, walked all over the place, they just weren't didn't own hardly anything and they would just go from place to place and there are certain there's sort of a circuit that a great deal of yogis go on and they will go there and do their retreats depending on seasons and how many other people were in front of them in the circuits it's pretty amazing so he also in these books goes in great detail on understanding the bardo particularly um, the bardo means intermediate state and we have them, we have all kinds of bardos throughout the day. But we're talking the intermediate state from the moment you die to when you're reborn again. And this is something that we have a lot of training in, and we work with a lot of people on, even Americans are being trained in this now on how to help others as they're leaving as they dying. So I highly recommend reading these. This is primarily in three book three and four. By the way, these were all one book, but you know, because of Rubichet's teaching in our Western books, they were broken up this way but um, but they this does primarily follow the order so um Chromatmy has has a whole chapter very long on a concise liberation through hearing an introduction to the Bardo, and then later on, um moving on to volume four, let's see. Uh, how to choose a pure realm, and how to reach a pure realm. So they touch on that again. So I think that's really nice. But now I'm going to go into some of the topics that I chose for today's talk, just to kind of things that talk to me a lot. And I talked about noises a little bit. So let me look here. Okay, I'm now on volume three. And I'm on page 281 if you're reading with me. This chapter is called, they're always very um, elaborate because the Tibetan language is is very floral. It's really beautiful. The wish-fulfilling jewel that brings progress. Instruction on improvement. So I'm kind of jumping into the middle of it. Because that's where I first found this. Now I'm on page 281. Enhancement through working with disturbing sounds. As a beginner, when you were practicing meditation, you may prefer to be isolated so you can be free from loud or unpleasant sounds that might disturb you. For instance, in Tibet, you might try to avoid foxes and crows because of the loud, chattering noises they make. Other common noise problems in Tibet are barking dogs, waterfalls, mother sheep, and their babies mingling in a flock also make a lot of noise if you have no other place to go such clamor and distraction can provoke thoughts and create difficulty and have an adverse impact on your meditation so i know most of us don't worry about mother sheep but we definitely have stuff here in america don't we in a country like the united states there are a great number of cars motorcycles children shouting and crying, and other sources of disruptive noise. Background sounds of aircraft and motor traffic, whether during the day or at night, can seem detrimental to the stability of our meditation. There are all kinds of loud noises and noises everywhere, and some individuals may feel they cannot practice meditation because of this. Whether you can successfully circumvent these factors or not, the problem is not that these disruptions need to be abandoned or eliminated. Rather, it is necessary to employ methods protecting your state of mind so external factors will not be capable of disturbing your peace. So I know this really talks to me. So I'm going to read a little bit more about this and then I'm going to share a story Rubashi has about his own sensitivities. So one method for diffusing negative impact of such disturbances, meditation, involve focusing your awareness on the sound of the bird calls or whatever involves focus... Sorry, let me say this again. Oh, I gotta watch the time too. here we go. One method for diffusing negative impact of such disturbances in meditation involves focusing your awareness on the sound of the bird calls or whatever kind of noise you are hearing. For example, if it is the sound of crows cawing, bring your awareness to the cawing sounds and then examine it. Does the noise exist substantially? Who is being affected by it? Is anything really there? As you investigate in this way, you discover that neither the sound nor the mind are really truly established. Once you discover that the sound and the essential nature of your mind are indistinct from one another, then look at that nature itself. When you do this, the sound will not be eliminated although you are not hearing the sound as something. If you hear the sound but feel agitated by it and respond with the thought this sound bothers me, you surrender to that fixation. This is very much like shamatha when we're meditating and we suddenly realize we're thinking we just have to very gently go back to doing the practice kind of letting go kind of touch and let go so i like that they really went into this and Rinpoche says sorry um says through correctly recognizing that neither your mind nor the sounds truly exist Then meditating on individual sounds with this technique, noises will not disturb you so much. Doing this only once will not be sufficient to to dispel the irritation. But if you earnestly apply this technique repeatedly, you will discover that your meditation will improve in this regard. And eventually, it will develop to the point where no matter what sounds and noises arise, They will not bother you in any way. So then Rinpoche said, I can definitely attest to this personally. When I left Tibet, I ended up in a place in India called Boksador. So this is the place that had been the prison then turned into an internment camp. It was terribly hot and uncomfortable, and there were thousands of monks living all together. There was a lot of noise among the monks, And there were many other noises as well. So it was very difficult for me to be there. Whenever I found time, I moved up to an isolated area on a hill where it was much cooler. Sometimes it was so tranquil there while I was meditating that even quiet sounds seemed like disturbances. He mentioned even a leaf falling on the ground would bother him. As I tried this again and again, my practice became worse to the point that I found that even the sound of occasional leaves falling on the ground provoked thoughts of irritation. Having been through this repeatedly, I eventually concluded, even in this quiet environment, my meditation is still affected. Nothing is helping. One day, I was wondering what to do, since the slightest noises were causing so much difficulty and discursive thought, I decided to go back among the crowd of monks down at the refugee camp as I tried to meditate there at one point I discovered I was able to do so very comfortably and the sources of noises and irritation no longer bothered me at all thus on the basis of my own experience I can say this method is definitely beneficial I just wondered anyone there have problems with noises I know I do Um, I used to I'm much better now We all have different things. Some of us have more visual problems, some environmental. So everyone is is a little different. Are you all asleep? No, I'm joking. Do any of you have, if anyone has a problem, oh, you can't raise your hands, but um, it's okay. All right, so moving on. Then he talks about, and I'll just talk about that. There is right next to our monastery, um, that was being built in the. Uh, let's see. My husband and I started going there in the late '80s. There was a, and even before that, they were doing all the gr- ground work to get everything ready to build the monastery. Right next door was um, a small little cabin. There were two cabins that were built. One was um almost more like a tree house where Lama Yeshua was staying, and then there was another one where another Lama was at. And the Lama Rinpoche would check in on him all the time, and he would say, I'm having such difficulty with my meditation because there's so much noise and all this heavy equipment. I just can't meditate anymore. But Rinpoche shared this technique with him, and over time, it didn't bother him whatsoever. So I thought I would share that with you. Let me see what else. Um, also, in this chapter, it goes over a great deal moving through any obstacles the generation and completion stage in deity practice. So if you do those, if you do Chenrezig, Madison Buddha, Amitabha, Manjushri, you should read that section, it's, it's very nice. And I think the very last thing I'd like to really share a little bit are about blessed substances. So again, this is in volume three. Looks like I'm gonna have to have a class for volume four. Let me look at volume four. And I'm now on page 225 this was just a general question this question is so I'm going to first give you like a five-second intro over the years if you go to any events at our monastery or at our centers you may receive tiny little plastic bags little round pills they look like pills like little round balls different colors Sometimes you have blessed ash, sand, rice, and you have all these different things. And over time, I'm looking. I'm going to go get some. Hold on. It's right here. Or you might have bought what's called um, a gal. I've shown these in other classes. This is a relic. It's sort of like a tiny little container, it has a hinge on it at the bottom and the top, and this is a double door jay on one side, and the other side is a Kala Chakra. I unscrew the bottom. These are usually not uh, watertight, so inside is a tiny bag. She filled this for me many times. I kept getting everything all wet. And inside of it, it's this tiny bag just full of pills. Little bits of rice. You can't tell now because it's so um it's kind of all turned to a little little bit dusty. So have any of you received anything like this? James says, not really. So, so um, because we're going to be opening the center soon, we're going to have more opportunities for you to be receiving things like this. And I thought I should talk a little bit about these special substances. So let me read on this. Hold on. 225. All right. And this is what somebody wrote. Or they asked her to shape, pardon me. So this is during questions and answers, which are beautiful in this book. They, they cover everything, the whole gambit. They said over the years I've accumulated some blessed substances that I don't know what to do with. I don't even know what they are. Some are from the 16th Karmapa um, and some are from when Trumpa died because they would often give these out. I have the salt, of a small vial of salt at the body. I remember I have the salt of the body of the um, the third um, Jama And I don't know what to do with him. What should I do? And he said, "You can keep these things on your shrine, and by using them as a support for offerings, prostrations, and so forth, you will accumulate great merit. When you die, you will want to eat them all. And I was once with someone who had and there was an exorcism that we were up in the mountains, and they thought they were dying. And they asked if we could put all the substances of their of their little reliquary box in their mouth. And I had no idea what they were talking about. And that's what they were doing. They didn't die. They were fine. They were dehydrated. So, so there is a difference between, um, and then he talked about some certain certain things. But I wanted to, to read a little bit more. So let's do another one. Remember, Shay, over the years, I also have received and various blessing pills. I was instructed to take them, but I felt that if I took them, I would run out of them. I still have them, and I think that perhaps I should have taken them. People think they should save them for a special occasion, but normally if someone really needs them, somebody else will give you one. You'll be amazed how many of us have them. Maybe you can say something about when we should take these. Remember she said, Hold on to most of them and occasionally eat a little bit of it. This is the reason for the custom for wearing the small locket or gow around one's neck, which is very prevalent throughout Tibet. The reason for wearing it is twofold. First, the locket contains the most important relics, some substances, and so forth that you have received. And by wearing it around your neck during your life, it protects you. Then, when you're about to die, you open it up and swallow everything inside of it. If you suddenly die, of course, you would not have the chance to do so. Usually, if people know they're dying or about to breathe their last breath, they they gesture to the people around them to open up their lockets and dump it all in their mouth. Then he went on. Um, They said, I seem to recall that the 16th Karmapa had some red pills, that might have been like this and they showed some pills in their locket. The translator then says, to my knowledge, this is the first time Rinpoche is actually telling anyone what these are because he's the only one who makes them. So what they're talking about is, my husband and I recently went through and looked at what we had. We didn't know we had black pills and we have a lot of red pills that normally aren't given out very often. And so, um, my husband's gal had broken the back of it. So that's why we had opened it up to take a real examination. So, Rinpoche says this, this is very interesting. Sometime before the death of the 16th Karmapa, there had been blood tests run while he was in New York City. We asked the doctors to return the unused blood. His Holiness gathered these vials of his blood together, wrapped them in a napkin, and affixed a seal to it. Then he handed this to me and said, hold on to this for later. After he passed away, I kept the vials of blood for a long time. Then I thought, well, he gave me these, and he told me to hold on to them. It must have been his wish that I do something beneficial with them. So I began to make pills out of them. I have Distrib- distributed these pills here and especially abroad in countries such as Taiwan, they have acquired a reputation for healing sickness, reducing pain. For example, the pain at the time of death, the pain of terminal illness. The side effect of this has been that people have joked with me about it, saying, "Oh, you have a samaya substance that not even the fathers and sons of our lineage have," and it's true. I'm the only one who distributes these because I'm the only one who has them and makes them. I have not distributed these a great deal in America. When I have given them to people, it's mostly when they've given me their gals and asked me to fill them. In this country, I rarely give red pills to people to eat because I'm concerned that they might develop some kind of attitude about what they are. Once, oh, I didn't know this, once in Ohio... There was a woman who was quite ill with cancer who asked me for a blessing pill. I gave her some of these and she ate them. The next day she asked what was in the pills, whether there were chemicals in them and where where were they made and so on. I explained that there were no chemicals in them and that I made them myself from ground up barley flour and so forth. And I realized that in this country people are quite worried about ingredients so i don't give them to people to eat in asia this is not a problem as long as the blessing substance people are eager to eat them so and anyway i just wanted to so i just wanted to share this with you this is i've never since heard Rinpoche ever talk i was actually there when he talked about this i've never heard him talk about it since so if you are ever given anything let me know um, or um or if you're ever interested in getting any of them And someone's asking about COVID. Um, Of course, Rubishi is now gone. He passed before COVID. Um, But I think also another very important thing with COVID is prayers. Very important. And by the way, I'm going to say this. I'm just going to round everything up just right now. Um, All of you are invited to join me on, um, what is it called? Instagram. I'm starting to do 71 Days of Medicine Buddha. I'm going to be 71 in 71 days, so I'm doing I've just already started it. So right now, there's many other substances. And, you know, yes, it may very well help with COVID, but also prayers really help with COVID. And medications help with COVID also. Remember, these were developed during times when people didn't have hospitals or clinics or anywhere to go to. These are people living in the middle of, how do I spell a gal? G A O. Or G H A O is how you spell gal. Um, sometimes you can buy them on Etsy. They're harder to find than they used to be. Um, Tibetan Spirit has some. I just saw that today. They're selling them. And what do you do once you buy a gal, um, talk to Lama Kathy or Lama, or if you're at our monastery, Lama Lodro. Somebody there could fill a Lama Kempo could fill the gal for you. You could even send it there and they would fill it. So, um, or you could always send any questions to me at uh, kathylamo108 at gmail.com, C-A-T-H-Y-L-H-A-M-O-108 at gmail.com. And I'm not saying this to buy anything. I don't want you to buy anything, but I just want you to know that there are these substances. Also, sometimes you might get a tiny little bag of little brown nuggets, you might say. And that's called Mandrup, where it's not necessarily a pill, but it's, Um, And it might taste a little sandy because sometimes we do practices um, where we say millions of mantras and they mix that with other flour and things. And then we eat little bits of it and it's just full of blessings. So there's a lot of blessings out there, but you know, the biggest blessing is do your practice, right? And do everything for the benefit of all living beings. Thank you everyone for letting me rattle on and share about my love of this book and of The blessings that we've all gotten over the years because of this and of kemparumshi opening these doors so let's take a moment and dedicate the mirror for those that are in need at this time throughout the entire universe thank you so much have a wonderful day bye everyone
0: thank you for joining us for this week's dharma talk we hope you enjoyed the podcast if you did, please subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. To learn more about the Columbus Karmateksum Choling or to donate to support our Dharma Talk series, please visit our website at columbusktc.org. The opening and closing music for the podcast is Tibetan Flute Song by Tamding Arts at tamdingarts.com. Please join us again next week for another Dharma Talk.